Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 podcast and it's Christmas time so happy holidays everybody seasons greetings whatever you are celebrating whether that's Christmas Hanukkah um, Kwanzaa or, or so many others I can't remember them all so forgive me if I didn't mention it but if you are celebrating the holiday season just want to say happy holidays to you guys and wish you all the best in health and love at this time of course it's a difficult period depending where you are around the world most notably here in the UK of course we're still in lockdown. Of course, where Courtney and I are based, we're in tier four, um, meaning that we've pretty much got to stay amongst our own selves in our own households and not really mix with anyone, which is a bit of a shame at Christmas time. Of course, that's not what we would want. We'd want to spend time with our friends and families and loved ones. But unfortunately, given COVID and what's been going on at the moment, we just have to make the best that we can. But wherever you are, guys, hope you are staying safe and making the best of Christmas as much as you can. And uh, so let's get started with the podcast. Obviously, my name is Adam. For those of you veteran DNF1 F1 podcast fans and those of you that are new, welcome along to a brand new episode. If you are new, make sure to like the video and also subscribe to the YouTube channel. Join the DNF1 family. We're still growing strong and we need you guys to try and help us reach our targets next year, which we have ambitiously set at trying to get to a thousand subscribers. Of course, we're a long way from that, but the only way we can do that is through your help and support so uh without further ado courtney welcome along of course i haven't quite Hello. introduced you yet lovely to see <laughs> you are sporting the christmas hat which unfortunately i am not so i do apologize um good to see that you're in the christmas spirit courtney how are you doing yeah you know um 2020 has done its best to kill the christmas spirit so i'm just trying to put in any kind of effort even if it is a, just a, a santa hat um I do have to add, though, this isn't just an ordinary Santa hat. It is a West Ham United oh. Santa hat. So it's extra, <laughs> extra, extra, extra special for me. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's a tough one. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. And we just need to find a way to keep each other sane. And I have massive hopes that next year is going to be a great year. And we just got to take life day by day. And, yeah, just try to keep each other's spirits up. That's what it's all about at the moment. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And uh, hopefully one way of doing that is tuning in and listening to the podcast. It certainly helps us. I hope it. Yeah, I hope it helps. It certainly helps us creating them. So we hope you guys enjoy them as much as we enjoy creating them as well. But of course, so many talking points going on in Formula One. Now, if you remember last week's episode, we were talking uh, about some driver moves and of course the possibility of Red Bull announcing their driver lineup for 2021. Ironically, we said it would probably come the day after we recorded and published the episode. And in fact, Red Bull did not disappoint. They indeed announced their driver lineup and it was Sergio Perez that was given the nod to join the Red Bull team for 2021 alongside Max Verstappen. So before we go into any more of that, Courtney, 
now that we know that Sergio Perez is staying in F1 for 2021 with Red Bull, what is your reaction to this news? Because, I mean, we've covered this in great depth already, but how do you feel as an F1 fan knowing that Sergio, after his heroics this season, will be in that Red Bull alongside Max Verstappen? Um, it's fantastic news for Sergio, obviously. I think the majority of the F1 fan base will be very pleased with it. Not only because Sergio Perez deserves a seat in Formula 1 and ways driven, deserves a chance in a big team, but also it makes next year's championship potentially a lot more exciting than we possibly imagined before this announcement was made. Um, it's a massive shame for, for Alex Albon, but Red Bull haven't chucked him out of Formula 1 altogether. They they clearly still hired him to some high esteem. Um, and I do expect him to be back very soon. So I think, in a way, I think Red Bull found a way to probably keep everybody happy to some extent. But yeah, I think I think this decision's made next year's championship a lot more intriguing, even before it's even started. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, Red Bull, as you pointed out, Courtney, they haven't dumped Alex Albon completely. They've only demoted him to a reserve driver role. So, of course, he will be with the team. He will be still heavily involved and there's going to be quite a lot of work coming his way, especially with the 2022 cars uh, being able to be developed. And, of course, a lot of work is going to go into that next year when the freeze on development of those cars will be lifted at the beginning of 2021. So Alex is still going to be very much involved in the program. And of course, let's not forget Red Bull's sister team, Alpha Tauri, or their junior team, if you like, have also recruited Yuki Tsunoda, uh, a young rookie from F2. So of course, there'll be a lot of eyes on his progress, not to mention Pierre Gasly, who, unless something changes, we, neither of us really expect Pierre Gasly to be in the Alpha Tauri in 2022, or even in the Red Bull setup at all. So, there is potentially a seat available for Alex Albon, whether that is at Red Bull or Alpha Tauri. It all depends on a lot of factors. For example, how well Yuki Tsunoda does, um, how well Sergio Perez does. Of course, this is a one-year deal, as we understand, perhaps with an option to increase that uh, to a few more years in the future if Sergio impresses. But of course, if he doesn't, that will present the opportunity for perhaps Alex to get another opportunity. I think in Alex's case, as disappointed as he will have been, it did seem to be a huge order or a huge task, if you like, for Alex to match up with Max Verstappen and really deliver on the objectives that Red Bull had set for him, which were understandably going to be high. That's just always been the case with Red Bull. But it doesn't mean to say that Alex has failed or that Alex has lost his opportunity in Formula One. Um, you know, he's shown good pace. They like him within the setup, you know, but ultimately I think what we saw the performance he put in at Abu Dhabi came way too late in the season. You know, yeah, if we'd agreed. done that more often throughout the season, I don't think we'd be having this discussion and we'd be more concerned about what Sergio Perez will be doing with his future. As it happens, that is not the case. And I think for everybody involved, it is the best possible outcome. Um, and, and in Alex's case, it's not the end of the road, far from it. There will no. be other opportunities and avenues. If it were me putting money on it right now, I think he will possibly take that Alpha Tauri seat once Pierre Gasly moves on wherever he goes in 2022 and possibly end up alongside Yuki Tsunoda. So, um, yeah, I, I, as I said, Courtney, I think probably fair to say that a win-win for 95% of those involved. I think even for Alex Albon, I think... It could benefit him long term. I think this could be a case of short term pain, long term gain for him because we saw it before with Gasly. I think being Max Stappen's teammate and a team like Red Bull, which has have a history of making their priority driver pretty obvious. I've, I've sorry to anybody that listens regularly, but I'd say this a lot. I feel it's a bit of a soul crusher being in that kind of environment, and I think it's doing a lot of good being away from that for mm. a year. You know, find some confidence go again in 2022. Um, but it'd just be very, very, very interesting to see how Sergio Perez fits in that team because is he going to be the proverbial Bottas, shall we say, for Red Bull? Or is he going to catch Max off guard and really make a challenge which then could cause even more fireworks going his next season? It's a good point. And 
you know, with Sergio Perez, I said last week's episode, our 2020 season review, which, of course, guys, if you haven't checked that out, make sure to check that out on the YouTube channel. It's doing really well so far. And, uh, you know, we could really do with some more love and support, but definitely have a look at that. Um, I, I said that Bottas, in my opinion, was one of the B plus, A minus level drivers in the field, whereas you've got your Verstappens, Hamiltons, Leclerc um, in the sort of A star category. And then, of course, of course, you have the a minus B plus, you've got your Perez's, your Bottas's, your Sebastian Vettel in the right car, of course, um, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And Perez is going to have a very, very tough task of not only competing with Max Verstappen in that car, but being able to drive at a level that Red Bull would deem satisfactory to compete not only against Max, but also against the Mercedes as well. And assuming what happens behind them, whether Racing Point make more gains or McLaren or perhaps even Ferrari managed to overhaul their shortcomings and get back into the top three race again, as difficult as that would be for them. Perez needs to make sure that he shows a lot more than what his predecessors have done over the last two seasons, where they've not really been able to extract what I like to call the blueprint pace of the Red Bull, what Red Bull expects of him. And I think personally, of all the drivers that are available, I can't think of anyone better to achieve that than Sergio Perez. Uh, as I said, Alex would have had a hard time doing it, and Perez will have a hard time too. This will be no picnic for him, but... He's learned a lot since those difficult times at McLaren. And I think a key factor Red Bull would have looked at when picking Perez is not necessarily his pace as overzealous as they could be on that. It's more about his harmony working in a team uh, that has an, an established number one and probably no team has more of an established number one than Red Bull in Max Verstappen. And the last thing Red Bull are going to want, even more than an underperforming driver, is a driver that causes friction um, and creates fractures within the team that obviously detriments their race results on a weekly basis. So in Red Bull's case, I think they've made a very smart decision, a very uh, calculated decision. Of course, it's taken them all season to work out who they wanted in that car. But I think in the end, a lot of us can agree that Red Bull have made the right decision in bringing a Sergio Perez. And I, for one, cannot wait to see what Sergio can do mm. now in his 30s, a lot more experienced than he was at that time at McLaren, where he really ruffled feathers with Jensen Button. Of course, his time at Racing Point early on with uh, the difficulties with Esteban Ocon that created. I feel like Perez is a much more rounded driver, much better driver, certainly a faster driver. And um, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this goes. If Red Bull can provide a car next season, and this will be a challenge for them compared to the Mercs, but if they really can provide a car that can go toe-to-toe with Mercedes more often than they have done this season, they will be able to attack them with both barrels more often than they did this season. So certainly exciting thing to see. Yeah, um, it, it this whole scenario has kind of given me another fault. Now, if Red Bull are close to Mercedes enough next season to provide a real challenge with both of their drivers, that will surely put extra pressure on the Bottas and George Russell situation. Because if you if if Mercedes were to lose a constructor championship because Red Bull got two strong drivers and Bottas was to underachieve again, I think that really opens up the argument to bring George Russell into the Mercedes. So, yeah, if Red Bull get close, it could create so many stories. And I think the majority of the fan base, apart from Mercedes fans, would be hoping that's the case. And that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up as well, because, you know, teams have been making big changes this season. You know, Carlos Sainz is coming to Ferrari to replace Sebastian Vettel. I mean, I already saw a video of Carlos already in the red talking to the fans, as he often did when he, in his McLaren days to really get us excited. And I'm very excited to see what Carlos Sainz is going to do in the Ferrari. I think that's going to be a very, very good lineup. And I think Ferrari perhaps underestimated Carlos Sainz before and when they first signed him. And I don't mean that in a way that, oh, Ferrari was stupid to sign him at the time. Obviously, I wanted them to sign Ricardo as a Ferrari fan. But they went with signs. And as the season's gone on, I'm even, I, I was more and more grateful or appealed to the idea of Carlos Sainz joining Ferrari and what he can bring. And then you've got McLaren signing Daniel Ricciardo in his as the replacement. Obviously, Vettel going to Aston Martin. Red Bull signing Perez. A lot of change is going on on what we would like to call the uh, the blue chip teams in Formula One. And Mercedes are the only team out of those that have remained stagnant. They have kept their driver lineup. They've been very consistent. Of course, this is a winning formula for them. They've only made one driver change in the last uh, eight, nine years. And they've won seven world championships. So you can't really argue 
with the logic. Um, so what Mercedes will have to do, like you mentioned, Corny, is they're going to have to review their current situation, perhaps even more so than they might have done in the past. Because, of course, if changing the drivers bears fruits uh, of the labours of the other teams, then it might prompt them even more to have a look at their own situation and whether or not Bottas can compete with the likes of Perez and Verstappen and perhaps if Ferrari up their game and what McLaren do, you know, all of those factors have come into it and it might make them think a bit more about whether or not it's enough for Bottas to play second fiddle to Lewis um, or if they need someone like George Russell to really establish uh, more of an assertive dominance in Mercedes, perhaps something more to what we saw in the Sakir Grand Prix, because of course we've not seen Russell and Hamilton race together, but it's probably not too out there or far-fetched to assume that if Russell performed like that on a weekly basis, he'd be right there challenging Lewis a lot more, similar to what Rosberg was doing before, what Bottas was doing in the last couple of seasons. So that's a really good point that you've made there. I'm really glad that you brought that up. Um, So, of course, let us know, guys, what your thoughts are on Perez's news. If you're happy that Sergio Perez is joining Red Bull and uh, staying in the sport and uh, what you think about Alex Albon, do you think he'll be in the Alpha Tauri perhaps next season, uh, this um, 2022, I should say, or do you think he'll go back to Red Bull or maybe go somewhere else? There's certainly options outside the Red Bull program and we will be doing an episode on the Red Bull driver program and whether or not it's been a success or a failure to this date in the next couple of weeks. So make sure to check that out as and when it comes out. Definitely looking forward to doing that episode. I know you are, Courtney, because you've been uh, hankering on at me for a while about talking about this Red Bull driver program because it's uh, definitely been the one that's come under the most scrutiny over the last decade and arguably is the one that's produced the most talent in the current Formula One grid. So definitely looking forward to that one. Yeah, it's. I look back at the Red Bull program with mixed emotions, but I'm not going to give too many spoilers away. I'm going to save my opinions for the episode itself. Well, I had a bit of a mind blowing sort of uh, stat, if you like, with that, but I'm going to save that for that episode because I feel like that will highlight the significance of why this Red Bull driver program is so oftenly analysed and talked about in particular. But um, let's move on to some other news, of course. Um, so let's talk about something important. Um, seeing as it's Christmas or the or that sort of season. Courtney, what is your favourite Christmas film? And there is a right answer to this. Whoa. You kind of caught me off guard with that one. Mm. It usually does when I ask that. I'm going to be random. I like Elf. Oh, okay. I like like Elf. I'm 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 going to be honest. I like Elf. All Nightmare Before Christmas. I prefer Elf. I don't know why. It's just, it's such a silly film, but it's one of, one of the better films with Will Ferrell in, to be honest. And uh, yeah, no, no, it's, it's always something I think people ask all the time at Christmas time, like what's your favourite Christmas film? I know some people go, oh, Love Actually, which yes, everyone watches Love Actually at Christmas. You don't? No, oh. no, too, too soppy for me. <laughs> it's not realistic. <laughs> I said the only realistic, no. <laughs> the only realistic one is, um, oh, I can't remember the guy's, Andrew Lincoln's character, um, uh, you know, Andrew Lincoln from The Walking Dead, um, Rick Grimes. Um but uh, I'm not going to do the impressions of the jokes in that show because it's ridiculous. But um, obviously his character is, um, his best mate is obviously getting married to Kiera Knightley's character. And, uh, and so this is the thing with Love Actually, like you you know all the actors that are in it and the actresses that are in it, but you don't know any of the characters' names. You refer to them by their actor. Um, it's quite amazing. Like if any of you can remember any of their names, do let us know. But I find it amazing that. Anyway, so obviously he films their wedding and then obviously he's the one that goes to the door with all the messages to say at Christmas you tell the truth and all that because she found out that he was into her. And the realistic part is obviously he doesn't get the girl in the end, whereas everyone else all fall in love and they're in his grave. It's fantastic. But, you know, so yeah, you're right, too soppy. But um, probably let on a bit more than I should have done. It's from, it's from, it's the reason why I say it is because we're a pair of single cynics. So anybody that does like it, no offense, but I'm just <laughs> talking from a single man's perspective here. Yeah, yeah, I'll make you right on that one. <laughs> but uh, no, my Christmas, uh, my favorite Christmas film, this is always controversial and I don't know why, but Die Hard. Right, go on. Die Hard has to be. It's a Christmas film. It is a Christmas <laughs> film. Come on, Cole. It's Die Hard is a Christmas film. <laughs> like as far as I'm con- as far as I'm concerned, Christmas does not start until Hans Gruber or the late Sir Alan Rickman uh, f- falling over falling from the tower at the end of the film. I'm sorry. Until I see that, 
and Bruce That's Willis shooting and flying through the window. <laughs> that is not Christmas for me until I see that. So I don't know. It's not. Uh, not for me. It's not Christmas until uh, Michael Bublé comes out of the freezer. <laughs> or Mariah Carey. <laughs> but but yeah. on, a, on a strange note, Mariah Carey finally got. Uh, I think it was at number one for All I Want for Christmas or something like that. Like is, that song's been out for years. Yes, that's how it works. All the classics come out of the freezer, don't they? Yeah, but that's, she's that's, actually that's finally won a proper award for it, like a number one in the UK, something mad like that, which I find a good time. Well, when yeah. well, unfortunately for, for George Michael, if he gets one, he won't be able to pick it up. But I digress. Yeah, <laughs> so. I think we've, yeah, we, as I said, back to George. But um, yeah, this is a Formula <laughs> One podcast. Not George but, Michael, Russell. <laughs> but um yeah guys let us know um first of all what's your favorite christmas film and also is die hard a christmas film as i said there's only one answer for this that i'll accept so uh, but let us know in the comments anyway let's move on to something that's uh, less interesting in this regard or less savory in this regard is the news about nikita mazepin now nikita mazepin already before this happened proved to be a very controversial figure in motorsport for a number of reasons that I'm not going to go into but of course Nikita Mazepin was signed by the Haas team on a two-year deal to join Mick Schumacher for next season so it's an all-new rookie lineup replacing Kevin Magnussen and Romain Grosjean and of course for those of you that have been keeping up with this story would know that Nikita Mazepin was being investigated by his team for posting on social media uh, an act where he was a well of inappropriate behavior towards a, another woman now of course we're not going to go into details of this because we don't want to cause any distress or any uh negative feelings to anyone of course but i think it's fair to say a lot of people rightly so have expressed their discontent for these actions and there's no tolerance for that kind of behavior in, uh, in sport or in life in general and of course formula one have championed and promoted this we racers one uh campaign and it's a fantastic campaign and of course the strides that have been taken in formula one with the equality situation the black lives matter movement which lewis hamilton in particular has been absolutely fantastic in really raising awareness for that and really using his platform for good and rightly so whichever way you stand on it it's you know it's always good to be talking about these things and looking for ways to improve diversity and you know more inclusive culture in a sport like Formula One, which I think is fair to say over time has not really been that inclusive compared to others. And it's taken great strides. Of course, the W Series, uh, the women's series, similar to Formula Three, um, exclusively for women, is going to be one of the support acts on the F1 weekend, which is a fantastic story for Formula One. It's great to see F1 in particular investing more time in allowing women drivers to have more of an opportunity in the sport because there's so much talent in there that we've we've gone over so many different characters like Jamie Chadwick, Abby Eaton, Alice Powell in particular, you know, some of the big stars and they're really, really good stars. Tatiana Calderon was in F2 uh, a year or so ago and she's doing really well. So, and Sophia Flush, of course, um, you know, some great young women really trying to get into the sport and what Nikita has done without, you know, going too much into it really has kind of undermined a lot of what, F1 and motorsport are trying to do with the We Races One campaign. And of course, the investigation had taken place with the Haas team. The FIA and F1 had said, look, they will stand by Haas's decision, which suggested to us that they'd already had a decision in mind pending this investigation. And today that they have announced that they have decided to keep Nikita Mazepin on as one of their drivers for next season alongside Nick Schumacher. Uh, news which for a lot of people, including myself, is not really what I was hoping to hear of course I'm not one for condoning uh getting rid of drivers uh or you know then removing their seats and stuff that they worked hard for but given the actions that Nikita had done I would say that this whilst I'm appalled by the decision I feel like this could set a very dangerous precedence for Formula One and the standards within motorsport going forward because this was a big opportunity you know, for them to make a stand and take the no tolerance policy on this. Um, and it seems, and I'm not going to go into the factors as to why I feel this may be the case, because that might be controversial, too controversial in this case. But I feel that perhaps, um, you know, perhaps something more like giving Nikita a ban for a year or removing his super license, which the FIA have the power to do, would have been a more appropriate punishment, uh, certainly a lot more appropriate than not doing anything at all i mean what are your thoughts on this one courtney because this is a very um, subject yeah we have to be talking about this now i think if you look at 
you know, sportsmen, sportswomen, these people are role models, okay, for children, young men. These are people that are an example, people that you look up to. And I think if you're in the public domain in particular, you need to be setting an example of what is right and what is acceptable. And they represent the sort of values we should be striving to achieve in modern society. So whether it be, you know, fighting sexism, misogyny, racism, you know, you said F1 have done so well with it. And it's such a deep issue. And I just, I, I don't know, I, I'm quite appalled by it personally. I think there are some deep social issues when it comes to how women are treated by, by so we say, a certain percentage of men. I'm not going to tie everybody with the same brush. But it just, I don't know, I just think it sends out some very bad messages when it comes to some deep social issues that, you know, everyone, well, not everyone, people are trying to deal with. And I think it's a terrible PR move by the Haas team who have pretty much been known as the joke team because, let's be honest, they have been, particularly with the documentary. They were known as the joke team. They made a really positive move by bringing in Mick Schumacher. Everybody, I, I think Haas were going to be the second team of Ferrari fans, Michael Schumacher fans. They really want to see this guy do well. Done great. I thought, you know what? This team are turning around their PR torture. They're going places. And then they bring in a guy... And, and let's not forget, this isn't his only misdemeanor. There have been so many. So many. You know, there'll be there'll be some people that might be like, oh, he's he's been he's been a snowflake. No, this is this is beyond. There's been so many things. And if for me, it just sets out this message that if you have enough money or influence, you can get away with behaving badly. I, I, I just think, you know, yeah, you know what, it's it's a sport. Drivers should be there for how they perform on track. But actually, it goes beyond that because they do have they do have a responsibility to show what is right and wrong. And and some of the, some of the arguments, you know, online you do see some odd arguments. I've seen a couple of arguments online when they talk about how drivers in the past would have behaved, particularly James Hunt. Mm. But there, there, there are two things. One, we are living in the social media age where everything becomes a lot more, everything becomes a lot more exposed, and that's why we need to be careful what we say on this podcast because you could make one one statement that's blown out proportion before you know it, you're cancelled. Mm. So we're living in a society where you do need to be careful what you say, what you do, and also we have moved on. We have moved on from that time. We're talking about how people behaved in the 1970s. In the 1970s, people were smoking cigars on, on the grid. You know, in front, in front of the bloody where the car gets fueled. Things have changed. We need to move on. We can't keep on saying, yeah, everything was great in the 70s. And and, and we should, uh, we, we've moved on. And I just feel that F1 have done so much. They've done so much to get rid of times. But I, I feel this is a PR disaster, particularly for Haas. Sorry mm. for the rant, but I needed to get it out there. Yeah, it's put it all under some real jeopardy now because. This doesn't affect just Haas or F1. Like Ferrari, another team that obviously will be linked in with this because, mm-hmm. you know, may not necessarily be directly involved with Mazepin's development. It might be more focused towards Mick. But of course, Ferrari are building a new centre at Marinello, which is going to be tailored towards the development of Haas as a Ferrari partner and a technical partner in the same way that Racing Point have been with Mercedes and Red Bull and Alpha Tauri. And the focus of that is primarily going to be to shift some Ferrari personnel to Haas, obviously in the wake of the budget cap introductions, where of course Ferrari will have to make cuts to personnel and Haas will be able to take more people on. Um, and, and that synergy will of course be used mostly to help Mick Schumacher in his development and obviously give him the tools that he needs to demonstrate his abilities in a car that's going to be similar to a Ferrari, do well. And then the aim would be to try and get him in the Ferrari in a few years' time. Now, of course, let's not reading too much into the two or three year stuff because people were saying, oh, they're already plotting Carlos Sainz's departure already. Look, let's not worry about that right now. But ultimately, we're in a situation now where, as you've mentioned, Courtney, we're talking about a driver who, yes, has talent, 
yes, has been very, very quick and has done well, and in some ways has earned the opportunity to be in Formula One. However, that does not excuse the the behaviour, not only the what he's done recently, but also stuff that he's done before, and the fact that in his apology, I don't know if you've read this, Courtney, but as as far as apologies go, I've seen so many people on social media or YouTubers that you know have these apologies, and they're all scripts and everything else, and some of them are really genuine, and some of them are not sincere at all. And this apology from Mazepin, I I mean I'm not going to quote it, but a lot of it I was reading it, and I thought this guy is really apologizing, not because he understands what he's done is wrong, but because he genuinely feels that, he, you know, what what's the big deal? You know, I, he doesn't understand the significance of his actions. And for me, I, that doesn't sit right. And as you mentioned, as a role model for the sport, this could really put F1 in a situation where they may have to make a difficult decision. Because right now, everything they've done in terms of the We Races One campaign or all the equality measures that they're putting into the sport, it's all being undermined by not really taking a firm stance and saying, I don't care that you have all this money and financial backing. This is not acceptable. You are bigger than, you know, than just a regular driver. You have to be seen to promote and change for all the right reasons. And this isn't good enough. So we'll have to wait and see what has to do on this, if they react to their original statement, depending on the fallout, if the FIA or F1 decide to get involved, but uh, a very, very ugly situation, which I would be very surprised if this was the last that we saw or heard of it. Well, yeah, I mean, we debated even talking about this because it's such a controversial issue. Like we've we've barely, you know, we've barely gone to the core of the issue because the the, the issue itself is such a deep social issue and it is so complex and I, it's the the other thing that bothers me, Adam, is that this kind of incident and you know you mentioned the reaction the, the apology it just opens up those those old stigmas that are negative stigmas that are attached with formula one you know you're talking about pr mm. that that kind this this kind of event just opens up that stigma that f1 drivers are rich sport boys that aren't in touch with the real world mm. and you know when you when you that kind of reaction open i just think it's it's just so much negativity in a time where Formula One is slowly but surely come coming into its own again. You've got these this younger younger generation of drivers like Norris, uh, Russell, Albon, Leclerc have done so much this year, really brought in the next generation of fans. And you've got this that has happened, and the younger generation are particularly sensitive on these matters. I, I think it's a massive own goal by Formula One, and I hope they overturn what the decision that has have made. Hmm. Well, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, as I said before, yeah. I think, you know, even if you didn't want to remove him from his seat, if Haas didn't want to do it, I think if the FIA did something like revoke his super license for a year and give him a ban, I think that would be a lot, lot better than, you know, not doing anything at all and just saying, oh, well, because the FIA and the F1, by saying that they're going to get behind what Haas decides to do is basically trying to remove responsibility from themselves to say, look, we're taking a back step of this. It's up to us. These guys are governing the sport. These guys are seen to be the ones to make change. If they're not happy with what's happened, it shouldn't matter what Haas decide to do. They're the ones that need to take action and they're the ones with the power. So it's, as you mentioned, a real own goal on their part. And you mentioned James Hunt. Yeah, there's a lot of truth in James Hunt, you know, the, you know, some of the stuff that he used to do, and particularly, you know, involving the women and everything else. It wasn't right then, you know. It doesn't mean to say that it's right now. And I feel like when people use that excuse to try and say, oh, well, people complaining are hypocritical because we're praising James for doing that despite his behaviour. Um, well, we're not, you know. At the time, people will see James Hunt as a character or as that sort of personality. But that was back then. A maverick. Yeah, a maverick. And that was back then. Yeah. You know, that was the character that people accepted back then. But it was still wrong then. It certainly doesn't mean that it's right now. And it's certainly not a reason to sort of overlook what Mazepin has done or what's happening right now. You know, if, if we go by that logic, we're never going to achieve equality or the change that we need. And, you know, and I feel sorry for people that really are affected by this, because what they're seeing is they're relying on the sport and those involved in running it to really make the decision that's going to encourage them to follow the sport and really feel that it really cares about every person, every individual equally. Situations like this, when push comes to shove, clearly 
we're looking at we race as one and i don't mean this lightly it seems nothing more than just virtue signaling on f1's mm -hmm. part because they're not acting uh, right now it does look that way i completely agree mate mm. and i hate using that term but i think that is exactly what's going on right now but of course guys let us know what you think about that one you know if, if if you can feel free to comment in of course if it's a very uncomfortable subject and of course we don't yeah. enjoy talking about it but unfortunately you know we can't stay silent on this we have to be using our voices on this podcast uh to you know express our opinions and discontent for what is going on right now but of course um in part two on a more lighter note we're going to be discussing the young driver test now of course for those of you that weren't sure or aware of what was going on Fernando Alonso took part in the Young Drivers Test. And in part two, Courtney and I are going to discuss why we felt that was a bit wrong on the FIA's part to allow Alonso under the conditions that they did. So um, stay tuned in and uh, we will see you for part two of the DNF1 F1 podcast. The DNF1 F1 podcast is a brand new show that covers the latest gossip, news and events in the world of Formula One. In each episode, we discuss the hot topics, interview guests, as well as review each race from the Formula One World Championship. We upload new episodes weekly, and we upload our podcast episodes on all major podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. We also upload video versions of every podcast episode on the DNF1 F1 Podcast YouTube channel, as well as other great content that you can check out. So make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and click the notifications bell so you don't miss out on any new content that we produce. You can also follow and engage with us on social media. The DNF1 F1 podcast is now active on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. Stay safe and we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. So welcome back to part two of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Of course, as we mentioned already, if you haven't already, make sure to like this video and subscribe to the channel and help us try and reach our goals. And notification bell. Absolutely, of course. So you don't miss any of the great content we've got coming out. We've got some new stuff we're going to be introducing very, very soon in 2021. So we're really excited about our second official year uh, on, well, doing what we do. And uh, we hope that you can join us for the journey. It's certainly going to be a fun one. But uh, just a quick little fact, Courtney, seeing as it's Christmas, I read something uh, during the break on social media that I thought you might enjoy basically pandering to what we were talking about earlier and it goes like this so 30 years ago Sergeant Al Powell known as Twink to his friends helped save dozens of lives after being sent to investigate a prank call at the Nakatomi Plaza and uh, as I do every time this year I like to honor his bravery at that time by watching uh, my favourite documentary, and I think you should too. So for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, watch Die Hard, best Christmas film going, and you'll understand exactly where he is. So congratulations, Sergeant Al Powell. We honour your memory and your services by watching my favourite film. Anyway, <laughs> thought I'd get that one in, Courtney, because I thought... See, if I, see how to. many of you guys actually had there with that one. No, I understood that reference. Think, oh, wow, he's spitting some truth. Ah, oh, damn it, Adam, what are you doing? Anyway... This is an F1 podcast, so we should get back to that. Now, the young driver test. We mentioned this uh, a little while ago. And of course, it's important to talk about that. Now, for those of you that don't know, this year in particular, the FIA struck a deal with the teams in F1 over the arrangements for testing, preseason testing in 2021, where they've cut down the test into two testing periods that will be three days each. So, of course, reducing the available amount of time of testing once again, it seems harder and harder and harder for the teams to really get their cars tuned in for the 2021 season in particular. And it seems to be continuing on that rate with testing being even shorter than it has ever been. As a compromise for that, they allow the teams to have a young driver test at the end of the season. Now, normally they conduct an attire test or regular test at the end of the season at Abu Dhabi, usually a day or two after the final race of the season. In this case, they've decided to incorporate a young driver test. Now, for those of you that don't know what the young driver test was, or what the conditions were, it was to allow entry or a test session for all of the teams if they wanted to. This was not mandatory to run 2020 cars with the current spec of any setup that they used at a race this season. So, of course, they couldn't use this as an actual testing session to test bits for next year or anything like that. They had to run the cars as they would have done in any race of the 2020 season. 
and it was exclusive at the time to drivers only that had not competed in any more than two races in Formula One. So purely was a a test session set up to try and embed the next young drivers coming into Formula One or trying to break through. So, of course, a lot of the teams had made plans for this originally. We saw the likes of Mick Schumacher for the Haas team. Ferrari brought Antonio Fuoco and Robert Schwartzman. Um, Alfa Romeo even brought Callum Eilert as another example. And a few other drivers, Mercedes, of course, had Nick DeVries, one of their drivers. But the most controversial of those was the Renault team, who were granted special permission to get Fernando Alonso. Now, of course, Fernando Alonso is a lot of things, but he's certainly not a young driver anymore. And he's certainly done a lot more than two races. In fact, he's the third most experienced driver in Formula One history. I think only Rubens Barrichello and Kimi Raikkonen have competed in more Grand Prix in their careers than Fernando Alonso. So back in April, of course, when this was struck, Renault didn't really have plans of who they were going to put in their car. It certainly wasn't going to be Fernando Alonso. This was not on the radar at the time. This kind of become more apparent as the year went on. Since then, Renault had done a deal with the FIA to allow an exception where Fernando Alonso could compete at the young driver test to be able to give him basically a day and a half worth of running in the car the 2020 car that is to get him up to speed with the current regulations and the current car now normally this wouldn't seem like a big deal but it's triggered a lot of anger from some of the other teams purely and simply because the FIA had uh, pretty much gone out of their way and out of the interest of other teams to allow a competitor, a very illustrious competitor in Fernando Alonso, to get an opportunity to test the current cars rather than do what other drivers would do in the situation and be forced to wait until preseason testing next year. So the argument that we want to discuss or the debate we want to discuss is do we feel the FIA was right to allow Fernando Alonso or do we feel it was wrong and what precedence this could set for future rulemaking? So, Courtney, I'm going to come to you first before we sort of dive into this. First of all, what were your thoughts on Fernando Alonso being granted permission by the FIA to compete in the young driver's test? Do you feel that this was a good idea for them? Um, And if so, why do you feel they may have decided to do this? And also your personal opinion as to whether you felt it was fair for them to have Fernando Alonso, whereas other teams did not get the same luxury. Yeah, I mean, I look at drivers in a similar-ish situation. Yeah, if you look at any sort of driver like Sebastian Vettel, Carlos Sainz, anyone that are moving on to a new team, you can understand why they might feel a little bit aggrieved by this because it would have given them an opportunity to get a feel of the new team, the direction they're going in with the car, to give them a little bit of a good feel going into next season. And Fernando's been given that. I, I suppose they probably thought that he needed a little bit of time because he's been away from us for a season. And we have discussed in the past our drivers struggle to come back when they've been away from the sport for a bit. But so you can see why Renault wanted to go down that road to give Fernando a little bit of a, a little bit of a boost. But at the end of the day, that is giving them an advantage over other teams because we know how talented Fernando is in his prime. So it's giving them an advantage over the other teams. So you can understand why they feel aggrieved. And I do. I, I feel particularly annoyed for the likes of Ferrari and um, and Aston Martin, who would have been wanting to give those drivers, if they knew that was available, or they was allowed to do it. You know that Carlos hmm. and Sebastian would have been in those cars, and that would have given them what they um, that would have given them exactly what they needed going into next season. But they weren't given that, and <laughs> as much as you don't want to hear it, they are teams. Aston Martin and Ferrari are teams that are likely to be competing with Renault next season. So. There's, there's various reasons for them to be annoyed, and I understand why. Mm, absolutely. I mean, I can give you some context as to what the logic was with the FIA on this one, because to allow Alonso to compete in this test and grant him special permission, they basically created a new criteria in that they would allow drivers in this scenario to compete in the young driver's test or partake, uh, providing that they hadn't raced in Formula One in the last two seasons. This allowed Mercedes to race Stoffel van Dorn in the test. It allowed Red Bull to use Sebastian Buemi in the test because he was one of their reserve drivers. And it also allowed um, trying to think, the uh, Alfa Romeo team to use Robert Kibitza. Now, the first thing I thought of when I first saw that was, okay, fine. If you want to incorporate that, that's fine. And everyone agrees to it. But then why is Robert Kibitza 
allowed to compete in this test when he was in the he was a driver last season. So surely by that logic, that that rule is already flawed. So mm. that didn't make sense. So if we go back to Cyril Abitabal's main argument for getting Alonso into this test, he argued, he basically went on the offensive. He wasn't defensive about this. He felt that he was reasonable to ask this request and to being granted this request, primarily because of the work that Renault had put towards getting young drivers into Formula One in the first place. I mean, and, and there is a lot of legs to this argument, if you think about it. I mean, Renault have funded the Europe Cast Formula Series for decades now. I mean, famous drivers have competed in that, the likes of George Russell. Jack Aitken was a champion in this series, amongst a few others as well. So, you know, some young drivers were talking about that are in Formula One today or have competed. So Renault have done a lot of work in that, and that's a fair point. Um, they also mentioned some of the young drivers that have gotten through into Formula One through their own programs. That's a bit up for debate, but, you know, that they are investing in the future of the sport. So I thought, okay, that's fair enough. But if they get that luxury with that, surely Ferrari in particular should be treated on the same wavelength because Ferrari have nine drivers in their young driver program or the driver academy, if you like. We're talking Charles Leclerc in particular. Uh, Mick Schumacher, both now in Formula One, Antonio Giovinazzi in Formula One, Robert Schwartzman in F2, looking to try and get into F1. Callum Mylot, we're not sure what he's going to be doing at the moment, other than being the Ferrari development driver. So, you know, that they are working on him, getting a chance in F1 perhaps in the future, amongst plenty others, including Antonio Fuoco, who tested for them. So, surely by that logic, they would have allowed Carlos Sainz to be granted an opportunity to test for Ferrari under the same circumstances as Renault. But the FIA denied them that opportunity, which was really frustrating. I thought, well, you basically just argued the case for Fernando Alonso to be in this test, to get an advantage uh, that, as you mentioned, the likes of Carlos Sainz, Sebastian Vettel, Daniel Ricciardo at McLaren as well, were not afforded on the same level. So, you can't really argue that one is fair and the other one isn't when they both can present the exact same case. And I would argue to a degree that Ferrari have, at this moment in time are contributing a lot more into Formula One in terms of a young driver's perspective than Renault are. I mean, if you look at Renault's driver academy, like Guan Yu Zhou, Christian Lungard in particular, you know, their opportunities in Formula One and Oscar Piastri as well, I should mention, their opportunities in Formula One might not present themselves as soon as they would like, given Fernando Alonso has kind of jumped the queue to get into that team for uh, the next two years. And we don't know what's going to happen with Esteban Ocon. You know, they might want to keep him, but then Pierre Gasly might be on the radar. So it kind of, it's a bit hypocritical. They go one way with that argument and say, oh yeah, we're doing a lot for Formula One in terms of the young driver programs, but they're not really giving opportunities to their own young drivers. I mean, look Fernando at Fernando Alonso. Fernando Alonso seems to cause a stir wherever he goes. Every team he joins, and he's he's called he's called he's hmm. actually calls the stir before even driving properly for Renault for the third time. And you know what? Wouldn't he absolutely love that? I mean, I love Fernando. <laughs> I love Fernando not just for his pace, but the controversy that he causes, and he absolutely loves the attention of it because that's the kind of guy he is. I think in Formula One, you really need to have that mental toughness about you, where you have to be prepared to rattle some feathers and really stir the pot. And Fernando, more than so than most drivers I've ever seen in the history of Formula One, has certainly done that everywhere that he has gone. I mean, we're talking about the guy that famous. Uh, pit stop in qualifying to try and hold up Lewis Hamilton and of course threatened to leak out the uh, espionage uh, papers that obviously um, entrapped McLaren into that hundred million dollar fine and disqualification from the Constructors Championship in 2008 and then obviously his time at Renault obviously I'm not saying he was involved in Crashgate but he certainly benefited from that at Renault and uh, let's not forget the time at Ferrari when they asked him what he would like for his birthday and he said uh, a Red Bull seat whilst he was the number one driver at Ferrari because the Red Bull in Sebastian Vettel's hand was winning world championships when Fernando was missing out. So yeah, he's certainly no stranger, Fernando, to really stirring the pot and upsetting people. And it's hilarious. I know I found that hilarious at the time when I heard that too, but it was worrying because I was like, oh crap. Obviously at the time we didn't know we were replacing him with Vettel, but um, yeah, that was a really interesting time. But obviously back to Renault's case on this one. You know, Cyril Abitabal, again, he was really aggressive on this one. He mentioned the Young Driver programme, Racing Point in particular, one of the teams that really opposed this decision for Fernando Alonso. And he went out and said, well, if he wants to build a claim, and this was to Otmar Zafna, if he wants to build a claim against uh, the FIA, that would be quite rich coming from them, keeping in mind that we all know that they have an illegal car. 
Um, obviously, you know, comparing them to the controversy involved with the brake ducts issue on the RP20, bearing similarities to the W10, which of course they were punished for. And it did ultimately cost them third in the Constructors' Championship, because if those points wouldn't have been taken away, they would have finished ahead of McLaren. So, you know, that's another point that Cyril has made. Now, I get that it might be in Formula One's best interest to have Fernando Alonso in the car for this young driver's test to give us some extra publicity or to help Fernando get used to the car so that a lot of stuff that's going to be carried over in 2021 because that is going to be the state of play where about 60-70% of the car does get carried over it makes sense to give Fernando as much time as possible to get used to that it will benefit them for next year's car but then if you afford Alonso that opportunity and try to make it more um, you know, more publicised, more interesting from a public's perspective, why would you not put Vettel in the Aston Martin or or Racing Point in this case, or Ricardo in the McLaren or Sainz in the Ferrari, you know, get all these newer big drivers in the same way that MotoGP do at their end of season test, they do the same thing but they do what I'm suggesting that for, that Formula One should do, put the bigger drivers in these new cars, publicise it, maybe broadcast some TV rights and get some real public interest because there is interest in it. And F1 mm, want to create this, you know, they want to create the story that Fernando Alonso, the two-time world champion, coming back to the sport, you know, to try and, in the same way they did with Michael Schumacher. So it makes no sense for them to have one rule for Fernando and one mm -hmm. for everybody else. I mean... It's the it's the inconsistency, isn't it? It's a, mm -hmm. it's a it's a well known thing that bothers us all in life. Sometimes when you feel that things aren't fair or consistent, and in a in a sport like Formula One where the rules are so black and white, if there's an inconsistency, it's bound to cause a stir. Yeah, absolutely, and I think the FIA have kind of messed up on this one because it does set a bad precedent for certain rules. I mean, we've battered them a lot in this episode already for different things, but um, this is one of those where I feel like they kind of dug themselves into a hole and tried to create ways to get around it. But their lack of consistency in terms of their approach has really left a lot of doubt and a lot of anger for some of the other teams. So a point where McLaren and Racing Point didn't see the point of doing the test and they just decided well, there was no value for them to do it because of obviously the situations they found themselves in owing to the uh, FIA's response. I mean, another argument the FIA put in and we've already knocked two of them down already. The one that I really find strange is they said, well, Fernando's been out of the sport for two years, so we kind of need to give him the, the, you know, the necessary tools that he needs to get back in. I said, well, first of all, the reason why Fernando Alonso was not competed in the sport for the last two years is because of Fernando Alonso. He chose to leave the sport yeah. and retire. And even when he left the sport in 2018, everybody and their mothers knew that Fernando was always going to want to return. He basically was not interested in trying to develop a McLaren or build them up and trying to compete on a weekly basis to get into the points, let alone score points or a podium, and wait and see if they turn that car into a championship contender. It didn't, and he took the chance at going to Renault because that was the only proper seat available. Because, of course, when a big seat become available, Fernando is there in the wings waiting to see if he gets the opportunity. And, you know, so I've got no sympathy for that. I really don't. I mean, I can't understand why they would give that preferential treatment and say, oh, well, he needs to come back in. Like, Fernando's been testing older Renaults and he can work in the simulators, he can do this and that, and he will get the same opportunities everybody else win in 2021. So why do they feel that Fernando need, so desperately needed, more so than the younger drivers? I mean, we saw Mick Schumacher and... Uh, yeah, Mick Schumacher in particular, you know, getting the testing, but Mick Schumacher's not competed in a Formula One race. So he qualifies under the criteria. So they're, allow they're allowed to use the young driver test, an opportunity to test Mick out and give him that running that he needed. Um, you know, and, and obviously, you know, arguing the case with Buemi, Van Dorn and Robert Kubitz. So, well, yeah, I can understand why that would be strange. But unlike Alonso, those guys are not going to be competing in Formula One next season. So there's literally no tangible benefit for them right. to use that experience, they're not going to jump in a car next year. I mean, they might do, I don't know, you know, with uh, reserve drivers, etc. but they're not going to get the benefit over a season. So, I mean, I've mentioned a lot on this young driver test already. Ultimately, I think what I'm trying to basically say to you guys is that for the reasons I've just mentioned and the way that this has kind of all come about all last minute, and it seems that the FIA have done everything possible to try and get Fernando Alonso as much experience as possible to prepare him for Formula One in 2021 because I feel like for their image the last thing that they will want is Fernando Alonso to kind of have a comeback in the same way that Michael Schumacher did 
with the exception of a few occasions like Valencia in 2012 or that pole he got in Monaco, which of course he wasn't able to keep. Other than that, Schumacher's return was not really one that would be remembered fondly. If anything, as a diehard Schumacher fan, I prefer to not acknowledge that period when talking about his career in general, because it really does, uh, when you're looking at it from a statistics perspective, bring down or uh, dilute his achievements, if you like, compared to what it would have been if he'd have just stayed away from the sport. And I feel like F1 are aware of this and they don't want the same thing to happen to Fernando Alonso. Yeah, it would it would make sense, but at the same time, I do I do understand why other teams would feel grieved. But yeah, the image is 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 a big thing. Um, you're right about Schumacher as well. Uh, the the comeback didn't work out well, and you're right, they probably don't want the same thing to happen again. But I'm still leaning more to the side, and I do understand why other teams would have an issue with it. Absolutely. And um, as I mentioned already, it just seemed that the FIA were trying to bring in these new protocols and new criteria to kind of justify having Fernando in the car. But what they did was create more reasons to say, OK, well, at the bare minimum, you put Fernando in the car. Let's make this exciting and put Ricardo in the McLaren, Sainz in the Ferrari and uh, Vettel in the racing point. Or even at the barest of minimum, Ferrari have met the same criteria that Renault have had over what Renault's arguments were, then let signs go in the Ferrari. You know, I don't think McLaren would have minded. They'd have let him go out of his contract. I mean, that was always a sticking point before for the tyre test, but, you know, that was never really an issue. So, uh, no, I think the FA dug themselves into a corner of this. I wasn't happy with that. But hopefully by doing that, Fernando Alonso will have learned a lot from this uh, test despite the fact that people were saying, well, it's quite limited value. And I said, well, if it's limited value, why Fernando wouldn't be running in the car? You wouldn't put him in there for the fun of it. You, you know, there has to be a tangible benefit. I'm really hoping that he's gained a lot from that. I mean, he set the fastest time in the test, no surprise. And um, he also set a faster time than the two Renault drivers did in qualifying. So that would be quite interesting. Not by much. I think it was about half a tenth faster than Esteban mm. Ocon's time in qualifying. Close, a lot closer than we expected. Yes, a lot closer. But if that's Fernando, of course, Fernando's only had a day and a half of running around that track. And the other guys would have had the similar amount of running with practice sessions and quality. That's definitely good for a driver that we're expecting a lot more of next year. And as, as I said, with the contingency from the 2020 car to the 2021 car, around 60, 70 percent of that will be retained. That's going to be quite invaluable to Fernando Alonso and Renault. So Renault has certainly done well to get Fernando that extra running, which probably shouldn't have been afforded. And uh, hopefully he'll be able to take full advantage of that when preseason testing gets underway in February. I mean, it's, as at the time that you'll be listening to this, it either be Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, or even in the new year, whenever you choose to listen to this, we're getting ever closer. And uh, yeah, I mean, we've been without Formula One for, uh, well, no more than a week or nearly two weeks now. And uh, it's getting hard to uh, deal with that, I must <laughs> say. Not enjoying it. I miss it already. It'll be testing before you know it. The car reveals usually start early Feb, mid-Feb. That's I when think, they usually begin. I think what you're going to find, Courtney, uh, this season is that a lot of teams are just going to do the reveals on the day. Um, yeah. Owing to the change in regulations, there will be some impact. And of course, we will do a video on that, uh, the impact of 2021, because it's going to be a lot larger than people actually take it for granted. It's not going to be a copy and paste and then a few little bits and that. It's going to be a lot more significant than that. So uh, that gives us hope, of course, for a more competitive championship. But I digress. And uh, I think that's a good way to end the episode, Courtney. And uh, very thought-provoking <laughs> discussion, must say. Uh, really, really enjoyed that. So thank you very much for weighing in on some controversial topics, but nonetheless ones that we definitely need to talk about. Yeah, I'll just like to take this opportunity to wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Thank you to all those that have supported us this year, it's been, a, it's been a horrible year, but this podcast has been one of the positive things for us and your support has really warmed our hearts. So thank you so much and please continue with the support. We've got so many plans for this channel, but so yeah, please, if you haven't already, subscribe, like the videos and yeah, have a very Merry Christmas and uh, hopefully a much better 2021. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself, Courtney, and I'm not going to try to, unlike other times. And uh, with that all being said, guys, stay safe. Have a lovely Christmas or whichever holiday you're celebrating as well. Stay safe. And we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Take care. See you soon.
Social Podcast Network.